Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everybody. Um, welcome to your Friday episode of Private Parts. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sit down, relax, and spread your wings whatever that means. Um, hey, we have a great episode for you today. Uh, I sat today opposite a guy who has been through a huge amount in his life. Um, huge amount. And he was amazing. He was open. He was vulnerable. He talked about it all. Kian de Croix or Kian de Croix which is uh, the French way of saying it. Um, Kian is from Cork in Ireland. He's a singer, songwriter, performer. He is incredible. His life is just absolutely wild. Almost a movie should be made out of it. Um, I just want to put a trigger warning that there are some conversations that we have in this episode that can be maybe triggering to some people. We talk about sexual abuse. We talk about physical abuse. We talk about lots of things which... Um, are quite heavy so please be warned for that it's an amazing episode though so get ready for it also if you haven't already please just do one thing and just click that subscribe button it would be absolutely amazing if you can do whatever platform you're listening to this to and also on social media so if you want to see the clips tiktok instagram youtube they're all there okay here we go enjoy the episode with kian de crow one of the greatest things in life is a sneeze Oh, jeez. This is how Best we kick shit thing off. ever. I sneezed all over myself there the other day, though, <laughs> just before playing a show. And it was one of those ones where, like, phlegm comes up, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just all over my T-shirt. And I couldn't change. So I just had this kind of, like, green vibe. Dude, I, <laughs> it's delicious. This happened to me the other day. I don't know why we're starting off like this, but whatever. Um, I was catching a flight the other day, and it was, like, one of those ones where it's, like, you get held in that the tunnel before the, the yeah, plane or whatever so it annoying. is. Anyway, so there, and I had a shoe and I sneezed. I, I, it was the biggest thing there. I don't know what left my nose. <laughs> it landed in my hand. And I, and I didn't don't know, know what to do. And I panicked. So I was just basically holding like a hand suitcase of just flesh until I got it. It was actually the most disgusting. Mine also thing. just happened on a plane in a, in a tunnel as well, waiting to get on the plane. Really you also Yeah, that sneeze that I was just telling you about was the exact same situation. But luckily, it kind of like missed. My hand, well, not luckily, <laughs> but I managed to like get it off, you know, but then I was like, I think you have to do that subtle thing. <laughs> <laughs> you're like picking up the, the paper bag. You just threw in the bin and you're like, wait, did I leave something in that paper bag? <laughs> Nothing in there, I don't think. I don't think I can find anything in that. That's like, yeah, oh, there's my coffee. <laughs> Are you traveling a lot at the moment? Yeah, loads. Wait, loads. What, like how many flights? Um, well, so I just had like a little period off. I think I've just been traveling again for the last maybe like three days. So yeah. I've probably taken like three or four flights. Um, and then I had like a little holiday, which was nice for like seven days. Yeah. And then before that, I think I was probably flying most days. It's probably a flight every 
Well, it depends really. Like sometimes if it's, if I'm in Europe, I'll fly almost every day or every second day. And so it could be like 10 days, uh, 10 flights or something. Do you not get knackered? It's exhausting though, right? It is quite exhausting. Yeah. You don't get enough sleep. That's for sure. And you're like mm. trying to sleep. Like I had a horrendous journey there. I was going to play a show in Belfast and I had to travel from like the South of France during like all the trouble of flights and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did like, I think it was, it was just one of those things where I had the day before I had also flown out there on like little to no sleep because it was a super early morning flight. And then the, to leave there the next day, I had to get up again at like five again after going to bed at maybe like midnight or, or one o'clock. Um, and it was like a, an hour long drive and then like four hours in a train and then a, and then a flight and every single seat you get into, you're just like trying to catch a snooze, you know, you're like, okay, a little bit more sleep. But I get this on flights now. I don't know what, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what it is within me, but I, it may, it must be the altitude, hmm. but I almost, if I fall asleep on a flight, I wake up panicking that I can't breathe. <laughs> Do you, you don't have this? No, no. I do that every single time. And, and maybe I think it's because of lack of sleep. I don't know. Cause I, That's I've been, very strange. Yeah, I've been traveling a huge amount. Because get I, that checked out, man. But dude, I want to, we've met before. Yeah. Um, our, a mutual friend of ours was hosting a night and you were singing in it. And I was, one of those times I had been traveling, so I was exhausted. And I had to introduce you to, onto the stage. Mm-hmm. And embarrassingly from my side, I totally messed up it's not that embarrassing though because it's like so i do have like a weird name i'm pretty sure the first thing i said to you when yeah. we met was like hey i'm keen to crow don't mess it up it's <laughs> exactly what you said to me and i was like that guy first of all is definitely gonna think that i'm such a prick because i was like either he's gonna understand that it's a joke and i was trying to come up with a funny first line or you're gonna be like that guy's rude uh, you probably thought I was rude. No, I didn't think just... you were rude at all. I was like, I was like, he's he, he's joking, all this kind of stuff. But also, there's a bit of seriousness to it, and I, and so that made me then panic even more. Yeah, so yeah. then when I came to interview, I went, "Hey, I I didn't even know what I said. I I completely messed up because your net. And I saw, I think you were on something else for where where your Kian is obviously Irish, and then the Ducro bit, which is meant to be French, which is Ducro. Yeah, Ducro. Ducro. So so who's French in the family then? My mum. Mum's side is French. Mum's French, yeah. Fluent French? As in like she grew up there or? Yeah, yeah. My mum's fully okay. as French as it goes. But she like has lived in Ireland now for maybe 25 years or something. So she's got like a cock French accent. <laughs> Kian, like will you come empty the dishwasher? It's just like the funniest kind of accent that you'll ever hear. But interestingly enough, I, I, I did like a, when I was on tour, I did a, an interview I can't remember exactly what I was doing, like loads of back-to-back radio ones. Mm. And someone said to me, by the way, congratulations, you are no longer on the how to pronounce list at radio. And I was like, first of all, I didn't know that was a thing. Mm. Secondly, that's kind of cool. He was like, that's a big deal. It means people now know how to pronounce your name, you know? But I think that is true though. I think there's there's yeah. honestly something within it where suddenly someone starts knowing and pronouncing your name. And that is like a... yeah. A weird sort of odd stepping stone. Did you ever think about changing before, when you were coming into music, did you think about, okay, maybe I could change it to make it easier or anything like that? The only thought that I ever had was to just be Kian. But even that people would still get wrong now that I realize. Because it's spelled C-I-A-N. Yeah. But I, like, at the time I had that thought when I was still living in Ireland and Kian was a super normal common name. Mm. And then I moved like 40 minute flight across the pond and everyone was just like, I had teachers calling me like Shan and Chan. And I was like, 
obviously not Chan. So <laughs> yeah, you know? my name is obviously not Chan. But what was it like? So, so talk to me about growing up because you grew up in Cork. Yeah, and uh, I've been to Cork before. It, you know, it, it's it's kind of a quieter place, right? And before moving to London, it's you know beautiful and green yeah. and pleasant and all these different things. And so, growing up there, did you know straight away that, that you wanted to go into music? You wanted to be a musician. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was like, I think I had a few things I wanted to do growing up. Uh, music was always probably one of the main ones. Mm. I always, for a really long time, wanted to be an actor. And then I wanted to be a skateboarder. Those are like the three things. Actually, I had a phase of wanting to be a magician as well. Um, but the ma- but mainly music was always a thing because my mom is a professional musician. Therefore, it was never something that I questioned as a possible career path. Mm. So it was like... A lot of people I know who did music or who had the the thought of being a musician as a kid or whatever, their parents were like, oh, go be a doctor or a lawyer or something like real. But I never had obviously that. And obviously my mom was super supportive in me doing like whatever kind of creative job I would have wanted to do. Um, so pretty much as long That's as That's funny though, because you're right. And typically parents within the industry always try and make... That children stray away from it because they realize how competitive, how hard, mm. how tough it is, the rejection behind it all. And, and you know, I, I don't know your your mother's story, but, you know, I, I definitely know from, from, from my place, having been in sort of the entertainment industry, right? Yeah. You know, having done reality and all that kind of stuff. Man, it's tough. Oh, yeah. It's real tough. Yeah. And, and Kim, with you, which I imagine, right, and I want to hear all the backstory as well, is that you know, you we talk about now people know your name and you're you're blowing up and you've got number one albums and things like that. But everyone sees the, the success now. No one sees the back history of how long it takes, how yeah. many hours of practicing, performing, how many, uh, you know, going onto the street and singing with people, whatever it is. It takes ages and, and the rejection yeah. and the hardship. And, and you, you wouldn't want to put that on your kids, I don't think. Yeah, I think it just depends, like, what somebody wants to do. Mm. I think it's more about like if my kids really wanted to do something um, and they were passionate enough, I think I would let them do it just because simply I think joy comes from doing something that you love and happiness comes from doing something you love. And I've always been very, very happy in my life because I've always tried to pursue and do things that I love no matter what, even when I was super unsuccessful. And yes, it's really, really difficult and it can be like soul crushing at times. But part of you is still just like, well, I would still do this for free for the rest of my life, even if I was like broke. I would like if there was nothing I could do. You would still if do I it. was just busking, like I would still do it no matter what, because it's what I love to do. Um, what is it about it that you love? Because you know, t- you talk about being a magician or being an actor or you know being a musician. Or it's also that performance space. Mm-hmm. What is it within the performance space that you love so much? I think it's probably begins when you're like a, a child and like making people laugh or making people sort of surprising people or um, which I think any anything of that, first of all, getting a reaction off a crowd. But I also like real life connection with like real humans. I think that's such an amazing thing mm. to like be on a stage and get this feel this energy from an audience, um, feel their sense of surprise or their sense of excitement or emotion. I love being able to evoke emotion within people. I think it's such an a, an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, and then just like, obviously you get like a buzz and excitement. Um, but yeah, I think there's probably, there are probably a lot of sides to why someone would 
want to be an artist or performer mm. for many different reasons. I think there's another side, which is probably like seeking approval for like probably the rest of your life, seeking love, seeking, you know, uh, all those kind of things. And definitely there is. Yeah, why whole... do we have that? I have a little bit of that as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, where I thought, I don't know, especially when I did, you know, it's interesting, Ryan, sorry to cut you off, but it's interesting, right? You, you know, I went down this route of doing Made in Chelsea and doing this kind of stuff. And, and before I did that, I think I was without knowing, I think it was just this, I was a bit of an insecure kid, I must have mm -hmm. been, right? And I think that's probably from childhood, boarding school, et cetera, divorce, maybe all those kind of things. But then I thought, okay, if I appear on television... Yeah. That means I'm going to receive some sort of fame or whatever it is. And yeah. that means then, oh, I'm going to get all this love from all people and that's going to cure everything. And actually for me at the beginning, it did the total opposite. Yeah. It made sort of strangers like me, but friends sort of detract from me. And yeah. I think there's that, there's that element of, yeah, seeking validation or... Yeah, I, I, I definitely think when people want to be, not all the time, but I see it in a lot of performers, there's that sense of... Yeah, I feel like this is going to complete me in a sense. It definitely is. You're definitely seeking a feeling of like this sort of fulfillment from like people and stuff like that as well. And I think it's like, I'm lucky in one sense because I do something that I love, which is making music and performing music. And music is the thing I love the most in the world. So I very easily get to sort of try and avoid or like, yeah, maybe avoid that side of myself that maybe is seeking like some sort of, filling maybe a void or something maybe from childhood from school from you know like in school I was ne I didn't have a lot of friends I was never cool I was bullied all that kind of stuff so I think part of you is also like there was definitely a part where I consciously was like well I'm going to prove you guys wrong and one day you're all going to want to be friends with me and now I'm living that part where everyone wants to be friends with me and all the people that didn't like me at school or wouldn't invite me to their birthdays come up to me and they're like yeah what's up and I'm just like I'm like, I don't care about you now. <laughs> yeah. And like, why yeah. did I think that this would? But it's funny because there's a part of it that's just like, oh, well, that's stupid. I don't think that way anymore. But I think, yeah, there's everybody. There's has, that initial part, right? Yeah. Which is where and everyone wants to be loved. You. I think, you know, everyone wants to have that feeling of love from people, whether it's strangers or whatever. So, but it's definitely like important to seek the right thing. I think there's a lot of people who seek fame, no matter, like just fame. And I think that's, not something that you should do through something that you love you know like don't do it because you want to be famous do make music because you love making music and that's I think why I, I never struggled because I always I just wanted to be a musician no matter what it didn't really matter to me all that mattered to me was like the goals that I had and it's never be it was never to be famous it would be to be I want to play in this venue how do I perform in this venue okay I got to write songs that will reach people and then I will do these steps. And it was only about those kind of things and the feeling because I would have these dreams in my sleep where I would perform in a venue and then I would wake up and be like, like I would feel so incredible. And I'd be like, I have to do that. How do I achieve that? How do I make that dream that I was just having there at 10 years old while I was sleeping into a real feeling that I get, you know? And then essentially it was just chasing Matt, which is kind of weird. Is the same feeling now when you perform in places, is it the same feeling you had in that dream? Sometimes, yeah. And that's, that's unbelievable. Wild. Yeah, unbelievable. It's wild that your body can almost predict what it's going to feel like. I know. And it's crazy that like I was having dreams like that as a kid. Like it's insane to be, it's yeah. almost like a curse in a way, but it's also like a blessing. But like, I didn't have a choice. It's like, it's like if the world is just like, here's the best feeling in the world but that wasn't actually real. And if you want it to be real, 
enjoy chasing it for like the rest of your life, you know, or for the next 10 years. And I think it was like so, it was 10 or 15 years that I chased being able to even get close to that, you know. Well, then does it, does it then become some sort of a drug then where you start feeling that emotion and you're sort of chasing it the entire time? Um, maybe to an extent, because I think the biggest thing I learned is that emotion isn't, that feeling isn't every time. You don't always have that buzz. And sometimes you go out and you play a show and it's supposed to be the thing you've dreamt of doing your whole life and the best feeling in the world. And you didn't really have fun. You know, like I, I did two shows at the O2 where I supported Ed Sheeran and the first one I didn't really enjoy. I just, some, some things happened and it was really just, it, I just couldn't enjoy it. It just wasn't fun. And I was so sad when I left stage. I was in such a, like a terrible mood because I was like, I can't believe I've dreamt my whole life of playing at the O2 or whatever. And, but then the second night was like incredible. And then I had that feeling. And then but when hang you, on, stay on that one minute. Why, why is the first night not good? You're, you're performing at the O2 with one of the biggest artists in the entire world. Yeah, I know. But you left grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me sound like such a prick. You know what? It's, it's you know what? It's little things. Do you because, perform badly or what? No, it was more that like I to enjoy to really fully enjoy performance. I things can't annoy me, and things bother me extremely easily when I'm on tour. When I'm in that like high intensity environment of doing something like that, where I have to comfortably in my mind go out in front of 20,000 people and not be nervous and I don't get nervous like at all but because I don't get nervous I don't want to get nervous or have a th like something that could make me nervous because that would ruin it for me and there are certain things that had happened that sort of messed up within the f probably the two or three minutes to me going on stage that went by the moment I was on stage I was like panicking of being like like I wasn't on time to start the song and like there was all these things that were like were like stuff that like no no one had even like noticed and nothing actually probably went wrong out there but I was panicking being like oh my god what if I don't get to the microphone in time what if I don't and then suddenly I'm on stage at the O2 and I'm and I'm pissed off because something had happened that had messed up this whole thing and it's really hard to get back into like just saying, get back in the room, get back into the moment, like enjoy yourself. And yeah, it's just a tough, it's a tough thing to do, you know? It, wait, is, is that though just reading into it? And perhaps I'm totally wrong here. Is that because when you tour, I, I suppose when you're touring, right? And you're doing your thing, you have complete control. Mm -hmm. So you can say when you go on, when you come off, you know exactly what's going on. And yeah. I imagine with someone like Ed Sheeran, you know, he's probably more in control because it's his tour, right? And so you're kind of, you know, you're opening and doing the kind of thing. Yeah. So you're sort of, maybe that sort of OCD, that sort of obsessive compulsive sort of where you have to be in control steps in. Does, is it something like that you think or no? Um, I think... Is that me really reading into it deeply? It's just nothing to do with that. It's more like, uh, it does happen on my own tour as well at moments. It'll, uh, But it's really stupid, tiny little things that like, I, I'm almost a, would be embarrassed to say them because people would be like, that's like, you sound like a diva, you know, but when no, I started, you, you don't sound like a diva at all. This is this, this is, it'll be like, I don't know. It'll be like, for example, I have ginger shots in my dressing room. Right. Yeah. And they're just something that like psychologically, I think helped me, help me feel good about my voice. They just like, I don't know. I like having them there. And 
of course, there's a, enough for, there's maybe like five and there might be a team of eight or whatever. And they're mainly just for me to drink or whatever. And obviously other people can have them as well. But sometimes I'll come in and they'll all be gone. And I'll just be like, well, like the amount of yeah, times you, you that sound like have, a diva. You know, it, it, I do. I know it sounds bad, no, but it'll just be so like a ritual, little thing. So yeah, it'd be a little thing that'll piss me off being like, everyone knows the ginger shots are for me. Somebody would have gone and seen the last one. And that's the way that I was raised. If my brother ate the last thing on the kitchen table at breakfast, my parents would be like, you don't eat the last croissant before asking, has everybody had one or whatever, you know? So when I come yeah. into like my dressing room and the people around and I never know who it is. So then it pissed me off because I'm like, it, I'm annoyed that someone will have taken something and not considered not just me, but everyone else and just seen, you just don't take the last one of An anything. An element of know? kindness is coming where you're just like, hang on a second, this is, people know this is my ritual, but also no one's like offering anything around. It's more, you know, we're all a team here. Yeah, everyone should be talking to each other. Everyone should be like, Guys, it's the last ginger shot. Does anyone want it or whatever? And using ginger shots as a really bad, bad example. But I get it. And that's not at all what happened on this Ed thing. It was a much bigger deal, bigger situation. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What happened in that context is I was probably 30 meters away from the stage when the show and the song started and I had to run and get up these stairs in time and I was like, I don't even know where I'm going. So that was like what threw me off of that, you know, but yeah. there are, sometimes little things can just distract you and you're like stressed and then it's like a minute before stage and you're going on and you're like, you know, when something annoys you totally. just a little bit and you're like, why am I even thinking about like a ginger shot? Like it doesn't matter, but it's hard to like get it out of your mind sometimes in those high pressure situations. I think what it is though, sometimes is when you have a blueprint of how something's going to go yeah. and you've had that, you know, 10 years old dreaming of this moment, all this feeling, all this, here we go. And you're then doing it and the blueprint doesn't go exactly to what you want it to yeah. go. Anything can put you off. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh God, I didn't do that or didn't do this. Yeah. I, I, I you know, it's so, so lame, but I, I, I played a lot of rugby when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. And I loved it more than anything in the entire world. And I, 
was top try scorer and we were playing the last game and we were going to be unbeaten again for another season. And I got past the ball and I dropped the ball over the line, didn't score the try. We won the game and whatever, but because of that, and we had an unbeaten season, we never lost a game in the whole season, but because of that one moment of dropping the ball ruined everything for me. Oh, yeah. And still to this day, oh my God. I, I, I would... I was like 16, like, what does it, like it's yeah. going to do nothing for my life. But still to this day, if I think about it, I go, ah, it's annoying that, I, yeah. that one, happened. One thing that I noticed, like I was trying to explain it to my girlfriend and, and she's a personal trainer. And when she comes on tour, she really like tries to get me to exercise as much as possible. And we were actually, I think we were at the O2, it was maybe on the second night or this could have even been the first night. And she was getting me to do, we were, we were working out and whatever. And then she was getting me like in between some sort of thing. She was like, oh, well, you have a break do some like press ups. And I was like, I don't want to do too much like arm exercise because I'd be worried that, you know, when sometimes when you do, your arms are a bit shaky, you can't mm. like hold them up or whatever. And then she was like, they won't be though. It's fine. Like, it's not going to be too much that, that it won't be. And I was like, I know that you think that, and that's probably true, but I can't have the th possible thought in my mind yeah. when I'm going out into arena. And these are my first times ever playing arenas. I just don't want the thought in the back of my mind of what if I go out and I try to lift my arms or they're like a bit shaky at the piano or something. And I'm like, and she was like, but they won't be, trust me. She was yeah, like, I don't get why you don't trust me. And I'm like, I do trust you, but I just can't even have a 1% chance thought because it's more about the thought in my mind True. than actually, if my hands were a bit shaky or my arms are shaky, it wouldn't actually affect really my playing probably, but it's having a thought that I don't need to have that is taking up space before I want to just go and like have fun and, and, you know, and it's gotten better now. Like now I've managed to be able to, uh, actually from being on tour with Ed, I've really managed to realize that like, like Ed would be talking to me up until the minute before he goes on stage and someone would be like, Ed, you got one minute. And he'd be like, cool, let me just change my shoes. And he'd be like, I'll see you after. Shut up. And in that, <laughs> that moment, casual? yeah, that casual, like so casual, just change his shoes. And in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm good at not being nervous, but now I need to learn to not be like too like ritualed before. And I wasn't that ritualed, but everyone, everyone tells you you should be because at every like single interview, everything, people are like, so what are your like pre-show rituals? What do you do? What gets you in the zone? So then you start thinking like, I was always like, I don't really have anything. Okay, I should start getting some things. I should start playing some music to pump me up. I should do this, I should do that. Doesn't that create anxiety though? That might, like, as a performer, because then you go, shit, I haven't had my piece of dark chocolate at yeah, yeah. 10 to 6, so now I'm freaking out. You exactly. Know? Like exactly. the ginger shot, so it creates anxiety almost, yeah. right? And when I saw that with Ed, how chilled he was, it was, and I, and, I, and I was like, of course, after 10 or 15 years, you get to that point. But I just saw that and immediately is what the first thing I noticed. I was like, he is having dinner with his mates. He's he's chatting to me right up until the moment, whatever it is. And he's just like going out. And like, I try, have tried to just adapt that now, like completely. And, and now it's just like, I found it so much easier. Now I'm just like, what, well, it doesn't matter what I'm doing up until I don't want to do something annoying. Like if they're mm. like, oh, you've got like a radio interview, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that in my 15 minutes for stage. Cause I'm like, just, <laughs> just going to be much. like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, too yeah, much, that's like, too much. you know, but I'll, I'll be, I'm chill to like play some games, like do whatever. And if it's like, yeah, here's your pack. You got one minute. Like that's totally fine with me now. If anything, it's super nice to just be distracted. What, it, what is it when you get the call up to do something with Ed Sheeran? What, what does that feel like? How does that even happen? Um, so 
the first instance is that I I'll just get a call from my manager and she'll say she's like guess who you're guess who's asked you to open up for you to open up for them on tour dude that's wild yeah and I'm just like at home in my apartment and and I think my manager was actually at a show in the West End and in the interval she got a call and um I'm just like guessing first of all and everyone I'm guessing she's like bigger and she's like bigger bigger and I'm like how do I get much bigger and eventually I'm like Ed Sheeran and like even though I knew he was already on a tour and he'd had like support acts for all of these dates and like I was like he doesn't have another tour but it was like a tour that hadn't been announced just yeah. this little mini one and uh, she was like yeah and I was like no way like fuck in my mind Ow. I'm like I cannot that's not happening I was like that's gonna get up until like the day I went like genuinely up until the day we drove into the first stadium or first arena in Manchester, I I was like, this is going to get taken away from us. Like, this is going to be, yeah. like, it's going to be like, oh, sorry, actually, it's cancelled. Or, oh, Ed, Ed changed his mind. And then on the other end, when I meet Ed and we talk, from his side, it was basically like, I think he was planning this new tour where he was going to be performing that new album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, in a, in a quick version, I guess he had been hearing my music, like, all the time regularly on the radio and stuff like that and had um, probably liked it or whatever. And I think... But he no. must have, right? He must have seen something in the way you perform, the way you sing, the way you write, whatever it is. He was like, that's what I want. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, his quick story was like, he was like, yeah, man, like, we were playing this tour and they were like, who do you want to open up? And your song was playing on the radio and he was like, I want that guy. And it was like, that was kind of his quick story. But then obviously we spoke more and and um, from what I gather, he had probably been seeing me for a while or whatever. Um, but uh, just insane. Like, it's insane because something you dream of your whole life as like a singer-songwriter. First songs I ever learned in guitar were Ed Sheeran songs, first songs I was singing, covering, songs I was trying to like copy would have been Ed Sheeran songs when I first started writing back in the day. And like, and then you see people go on tour with him and you're like, wow, like how do you become that person that Ed Sheeran chooses to go on tour with him? That's all like, and then one day you're that person that he chooses and you're like, no, that's not real. You know, and it still doesn't feel real today. Like I still think, it's very weird. Like, it's crazy. How much do you believe in manifestation and, and that side of things? I fully believe, yeah. 100%. Well, talk to me why, because you've experienced it. Yeah, with like everything in my life. I think I've experienced it, everything in my career and my life. And I think, um, I think there's some, it's, I don't think it's magic. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I think it's like, whether it puts you in the right place or the right situation or it makes you work in the right mindset. But like sometimes it does things that are just mysterious and you're like, I don't understand how I'm here. Um, like what what has happened to you? We've gone like, this, like part of, I suppose that dreaming when you were 10 years old and then yeah. suddenly you're feeling you're like, this is what. Yeah, that's I, like manifestation for sure. Like in your dreams and stuff. Like I think like so many things in my life, um, even a number one album, I, I used to go to bed like every night being like, like I'm so grateful for my number one album. And then like a few months later, I have a number one album and like, uh, Wait, hang on. So you would go to bed every night, say affirmations at night, being like, "Yeah, I'm so happy for." So not even, not even speaking into existence. You're just saying what's already here. Yeah, because I believe that like all we have is like the the present moment is the real moment, and like that's you know. But we won't get into chats about the science of time. But like I, <laughs> I just think well, about like oh, that's exactly where I wanted to get. To. <laughs> I think like when you're talking about it, is if you have it and it's already there that's how you can get it to come to you it's the way that i find it the easiest anyway everyone has their own ways and there's no right way to do it but for me it just makes me feel good and it makes me believe in myself and i remember 
the biggest thing was I started as a kid. I did lo- I practiced the law of attraction without knowing. As a kid, I always believed in myself, no matter what. I never, ever, ever doubted myself. And at the time, I was doing a lot of classical music, or I'd be doing like little television auditions and stuff. Um, and classical music is a lot of competitions, like very high level competitions. Yeah, because you you were you, you trained in a flute in the flute, yeah. right? Yeah. And when I was a kid, I I did loads of competitions. I could have been, I think I did, say, let's talk like maybe three, four or five years in a row. I did maybe when I was 10, I did like under 13s. When I was uh, 11, I did under 16s. When I was 12, I did like degree and master students competitions. And I won every single one of them, but I never questioned whether I would. I always just believed. And it's not because I was like, oh, I'm the best. I was just like, I'm going to do the best that I can possibly do. I'm going to play as well as I can. And I never questioned that I would like do badly, like not even do badly as a result. I just never thought, oh, I hope I don't perform badly. I just always believed in myself so much and believed in the music and believed in the practice that I put in. And, um, and How much practice did you put in? A lot of practice. I mean, classical music is Is this music driven is like, from your mom? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Driven from my mom, but like always just like, if you want to do this, this is what you have to do, you know, not like because, forcefully driven. Yeah. Which is because King, I would, you know, it's sort of the, um, you know, gr- growing up, you know, when I was growing up, the to be to be fully invested into playing classical music, I would say, is unique, yeah. right? You know, and because normally it's you're invested in things which are pointless, like I don't know, yeah. uh, uh, watching football or whatever it is, yeah. and that's what you'll do. And so then, but you want to be a footballer because we see these things and we see exciting. No, what yeah. you're passionate about is music and classical music and going into these competitions and and doing that and and I imagine and you're also then going into competitions against older people so you're not even mixing with your own age group quite yeah. a lot of the time I think I just like I loved the sense of competition and I also loved that well I was also quite very grown up from my age and mature from like stuff in my childhood and things but yeah I think I just like it was just the way like what me and my mom and my brother we did and it was just what we loved and like I found it really fun. It was the challenge every year. There was the competition would come back around, different competitions and stuff. Um, and I don't necessarily like competition, but I just loved performing. I loved the challenge. I knew that was what I was good at was performing. Um, and I was where I was the best. You know, even where, even if it was in the class or the classroom, I might not have necessarily performed the best. But when I got on stage, and this is what my mom always said, she was like, no matter how much I tried to get keen to perfect things in the classroom or in the lessons or whatever. I just had to trust like when he gets on stage, it'll, he'll smash it and it'll be like so different. And that's always the ability that I had was just to be the best version of myself on stage, which is very, very weird. weird. Yeah. yeah. It's very strange. When um, is that? But you look, maybe you, you don't want to go into it. And I, I fully appreciate if you don't want to, but where you said, you know, you had to, you, you, you sort of matured rather quickly and you had this, where does that come from what, in childhood? What? <laughs> uh, so, well, my dad was very like abusive with me and my brother and really? with my mom, obviously. Um, and I think from having that sort of, obviously having a, that was like, I was quite young. I was probably like maybe five or six and my brother was like eight or nine and it lasted a, like a, a really long time. And then getting out of it took a really, really long time. Um, so obviously when you're like a kid and you're experiencing both like physical and sexual abuse, it's like very, 
you have to grow up super fast because all the conversations are very grown up. Suddenly you're talking to therapists and, and counselors and professionals and people who are asking you questions and you have to explain things and then you have to learn things about yourself and your your mom has to have conversations with you that she probably shouldn't have with you for another 10 years. And, and as you grow older, you have to grow even faster with all that. So I think we grew up extremely fast um, and our like sort of childhood and our innocence was basically just like immediately killed. And I remember like everyone around us was like suddenly like a kid and me and my brother were like this is so weird and my mom even would have to be like look you have to be careful how you speak what you do how you like act because everyone around you is still like a kid living in Disneyland and you're not you know what the like the planet is like and and it was like you as a kid you're just like adapting or whatever you know and you're you're learning and and you have all these like strange conversations of like you know, consent and stuff like that, like really young. Mm -hmm. And you have the conversations like of, you know, for example, for me, if I was ever to be in a situation where someone accused me of non-consent or something, I'd probably immediately just be convicted because of my history of being abused as a kid. A judge would just be like, well, that's what, you know, that's what they tell you as a kid. They're just like, make sure that you never are like that you ask yes like a million times otherwise mm. a judge will look at your file and be like oh well his dad abused him so he's probably a, a weirdo so you grow up thinking like wow all these things and so you just change you just grow up so fast because you're like having these crazy conversations when some other kids don't even know what sex is or no you know yeah. like don't understand any of this stuff um and that obviously you see your mother being affected like i've seen my mom in you know so many difficult stages and and, and stuff in life and you see the emotion there and you start carrying around emotion and and so then when it comes to like playing music it's like the, it just floods out of you because it's like the only way you can get that emotion out as well at that age um, and probably still now it's like how I get any of that out and process any like emotions to that kind of level so yeah you you just like you kind of grow up and then that maturity is like in your in your music for a long time and, mm. and whatever Ken, um, well, I you know what that is. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. That is a thing no person should ever experience ever. And it's amazing that you are, are open enough to to discuss it because mm. I just think, especially you know, I mean, it's that typical thing we talk about. Men typically not be able to talk about anything, but be able yeah. to do that and and go through it and process it and understand it, and but then also have this inner confidence as well within yourself. That's unbelievable. Because nice. it is, it's amazing, it's incredible because one would suggest, as you said about the judge, you know, was just that it would affect so many people in so many different ways. Yeah. But you, your brother and your mum managed to hold it together. Hmm. And that is, uh, I mean, I applaud your mother, I applaud you, I applaud your, your brother, people like that, that's insane. Thank you. And so when you go through something horrendous like that, and as you said, it's the the beginning, the middle and the after, Therapy, you do, you, you, your innocence is shattered. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, not what any child should ever have. How do you then come out of it? How do you work your way out of things like that? I think like, I was very lucky that my mom was very like sort of, I think she just knew what to do or how to, she prioritized me and my brother first and foremost. She didn't really take care of herself. She was like, I got to take care of my kids, protect them. And, um, and she just put us straight away in therapy. Like, so every week I went to therapy when I was in primary school, secondary school. So how um, old is that? What age would you have been? Probably from like, I don't know, could have been like seven years old or wow. whatever, yeah. eight, all the way through to 
you know, I was doing therapy when I was 18, 19, 20. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was like every week and every week I would, you know, a lot of the time I would nip out of school and then go back. But many times we didn't go back to school because it was just too much. Like you'd come out of therapy and you can't go back to school. Like, so like that was like a regular Monday for me was just like get pulled out of school to go like to family therapy. And then, and then just like my mom would have to bring us somewhere to do something that would like make distract us and make us happy again. And, but the therapy helped so much. Like, obviously it was unbelievable. And I think without that, we wouldn't have gotten out of there, but also without like family or like my mom's French family going to France, uh, friends, we had such amazing friends around us who, who housed us for, for times when we, when we didn't have anywhere to live, who took care of us, who provided us with, with money, with just things that, you know, like without friends, we wouldn't, like my mom wouldn't have made it through. Um, and then my mom was amazing and she was obviously extremely talented. So her talent allowed her to work and be able to provide for her two kids. And, um, and then my stepdad came along as well. And he just, he was there to like be the rock for my mom and help us all in that way as well. Um, and music obviously was like a super important thing that just was like this thing that bonded us and this therapy and this, uh, thing that also allowed us to escape and get out and travel the world and like get mm. scholarships to schools and all this kind of stuff and kind of allowed us to just create a, a life, the, the life that we kind of had. And although it had this like really dark side, it also had a really positive side almost at the same time. Um, what, what, what is that? I, I, I always got told something which I sort of truly believe is that when, when a, a door shuts, look for a window. Because there's always a window open. So if something terrible happens or an opportunity occurs or something awful like that yeah. happens, there's always something beyond it that's going to be better. Yeah. And you just have to get through these moments in order to get there. Yeah. All right, everybody. As always, that's the end of part one. Now, if you want to go and listen to part two, go and click over to it right now, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Enjoy the rest of the episode with Kian DeCran.